Well, good morning. A very warm welcome to St. Paul's Blur Street. My name's Jenny, and it's great to have you all here this morning, and welcome to those joining us online as well. And welcome back if we haven't seen you in a while. Uh, welcome if it's your first time. Uh, whether you're curious about faith, maybe you're critical, or you're committed, you've got a home here at St. Paul's. There is a classic business book called Your First Hundred Days, How to Make Maximum Impact in Your New Leadership Role. And one of its insights is that a new leader usually has a honeymoon period when they start. And if you can quickly get to grips with the state of the organization or the departments you now lead, you can make strategic changes in the honeymoon period, right? The first hundred days. Jesus of Nazareth is the single most impactful leader of all history. Whether or not you believe he was the fully divine son of God, and he didn't get a honeymoon period. He started his big job when he was about 30 years old, and he was immediately driven by the Holy Spirit out into the desert, where he suffered and was tempted for 40 of his first 100 days. We're starting uh, a new teaching series this morning called The Mission of Jesus, looking at the earliest episodes of Jesus' work, how he went from being a complete nobody to being recognized as God on earth, and how his work, his mission, can define ours today. Because what Jesus was about, that's what we want to be about. Whether we're working downtown, or you're in the home raising children, or you're doing work that's not paid. And in this opening episode of Jesus' work, he didn't start hiring or firing, mapping out his key performance indicators, or taking his colleagues out for coffee. No, he started by following the Holy Spirit out into the desert, where he was tempted for 40 days. And this is an important reality check. Life is a struggle, even if you don't have kids. And this opening episode can first encourage us about the reality of life. And then second, it can equip us to thrive in the struggles of life. Equip and encourage as we dive into a new season of work and mission. So first, encourage. Life's hard. I'm not being paid the big bucks here for some incredible insight. Life can be wonderful. Maybe you fell in love this summer. Maybe you got a good job. But life is still hard for everyone. And even when all the different parts of my life align to be good for like one whole week, then I worry about the other shoe dropping and discovering that Tim hasn't been like paying our taxes for a decade and we need to go on the run now. Don't you, don't worry, he did. Don't you think that deep down we are programmed to believe that if we're smart and savvy, our lives will go well, right? Like be decent parents and your kids will turn out all right. Don't be an axe murderer, you'll eventually get married. So if life is hard, somebody has screwed up. Of course, there is self-inflicted damage, right? Which our weekly confession touches on. But it is not always your fault when life is hard. Jesus, who is as perfect as you can imagine a human being to be, who perfectly lived into those Ten Commandments we preached through this summer, his life was hard every day. Like everything went wrong all the time. Now, if you slack off at work, you're probably not going to get the bonus. But if you work hard and creatively at work all the time, 
you will still have hardships and you will still have difficulties. And we need to hear this honest assessment of life because 21st century North American culture, more than anywhere else in the world, tells us that we are entitled to a smooth and comfortable life. And so we're so often surprised when difficulties come, which then gives you double the trouble, right? Like you have the pain of whatever bad thing is happening, the friend who betrayed you or the expectation gap at work, and you've got the pain of being surprised and the anxiety of trying to find someone to blame or thinking that deep down maybe you're the cause. Knowing that life is hard can also be encouraging because meaning then might be found in the struggle. Right before our episode this morning, Jesus had been baptized in the River Jordan and he was told by his heavenly father, I love you, I'm so pleased with you. Go get him, tiger, says God. And then from that emotional mountaintop, we get this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Before Jesus could get to work, it seems that some tests needed to be passed. Thankfully, the LSAT doesn't also involve 40 days of fasting. And notice that Jesus didn't just wander into the desert by taking a wrong turn. Uh, He was led there by the Holy Spirit. The test had a purpose, preparing Jesus for the next three years of his life, where he was going to go from Jesus who? Joseph's kid? To a Roman centurion famously declaring as he died on the cross, surely this man was the son of God. How's that for a career trajectory? It's encouraging to know that there can be purpose in hardship, that some suffering could be redeemed for good. While acknowledging that there's much struggle, we will not understand in this earthly life. Like there's some pain that I have on the top of my list to ask Jesus to explain to me when I finally meet him face to face. So if we can be encouraged by the fact that life is hard for everyone all the time, how can we be equipped to thrive during the struggle, equipped at the beginning of this new season? Well, to start with, we need to be equipped with accurate information, accurate knowledge. Flying blind is a dangerous way to go through life. And we're gonna have little chance of succeeding in the struggles of life unless we are intellectually honest about the reality of evil. William Blatty, who wrote and produced The Exorcist, said this, as far as God goes, I'm a non-believer, but when it comes to the devil, oh, well, that's something else. The devil does lots of commercials. There is not unanimous agreement amongst Christians on the exact nature of this evil called the devil, but the historical record of the Bible is clear. This evil is opposed to God's good purposes, and much of Jesus' teaching and actions will be simply unintelligible to us unless we grasp the idea, understand that the devil is working against God's plans for your life and for mine. And our, our secular culture, of course, minimizes this, right? So we don't take it seriously, like a little red suit and a pitchfork, please. And our culture also has a reductionist view of why life is so hard. 
It's because of physical, social, or psychological factors. And if we can just improve health care, better fund the arts, uh, focus on education, all good things, uh, then life will get better. The problem with this reductionist view is the lived reality of human history. The slam dunk example being the Nazis. They drank fine wine. They read philosophy. They listened to Mozart and they put people in ovens. To understand what makes people who are obviously human beings act so evilly, you need to acknowledge the power of supernatural evil, both in hideous ways, like Nazism, but also subtly, as Tyler talked about a few weeks ago, how the devil, who's the father of lies, drips poison into our minds. You will never amount to anything. Your bank balance is your work, your skin color, it's wrong, and I think you probably deserved it. Lies, lies from the devil who wants to destroy what is lovingly made in God's image, us. And to thrive in the struggles of life, we mustn't fly blind. We need to be equipped with the knowledge that the devil is real and wants to throw us off course every day. But part of the amazing good news this morning is that we can be equipped with the very same resources that Jesus had for his work and his mission. Look at the temptations dangled in front of Jesus and how he responds. Right, like that first temptation, concern for his physical needs. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus had just finished his 40-day fast. There was nothing wrong with him now eating, but he refuses to because it would have been the only time that Jesus used his supernatural power to meet his own needs rather than serve other people. Second, concern for power and status. Worship me, says the devil. I'll make you king of the world. Wasn't that Jesus's mission in the first place to be the king of the world? But the devil was promising to Amazon Prime it to Jesus direct. No need for suffering, no need for a cross, just worship me instead, done. Third temptation is for personal safety. Just throw yourself off this high building. Don't worry, God's angels have got you. Remember how Jesus has just come from his baptism, where he's been told of his rock-solid identity as the beloved son of God. So the devil goes for the jugular multiple times. If you are the son of God, if. Because if the devil can shake Jesus's identity as a beloved child of God, if God is not to be trusted as a loving heavenly father, then Jesus will live his life in fear and he will just focus on protecting himself, protecting his interests. The devil's MO, your life for mine. Jesus's MO, my life given for yours. The devil? Feed yourself. Focus on yourself. Make yourself the priority. Jesus? Feed others. Make others the priority. Every day we face these temptations in subtle ways, and we can be equipped with the same resources that Jesus has in his work. Because in our baptism, we are given the same identity as Jesus, adored and adopted into God's family and invited into the thrilling work of God here in this city, 
the mission that we are about here at St. Paul's. So what are those resources that Jesus used in his work, and how could they equip us this fall? Now, the devil is a talented economist who hates to waste his time on temptations he knows that we could resist on our own steam. So daily decision by daily decision, the devil wants us to build a life where we don't include God, right? Where giving um, our children the gift of faith in Jesus isn't our number one parenting priority, and where our financial means are used primarily for ourselves. And the resource that Jesus used in the face of these temptations, he quoted the Bible and each of his uh, responses, was part of a package of resources that had sustained the Jewish people uh, since they left slavery in ancient Egypt and have sustained Christians for centuries. It's what's sustaining Christians today in Morocco today in Ukraine. It's the same. And they are resources that will root your identity in God's mercy and forgiveness. Resources that will push you to prioritize other people. It's hard. And help you to live without fear because of a certain hope in a God-shaped future. We have five ancient spiritual practices, a, a rhythm of life, worship, prayer and study of the scripture, service, generosity, faithful living. These are the resources that encouraged Jesus to remember his identity as a beloved child of God, that equipped Jesus for the struggles of the work he was just about to start. You see, there's nothing more that the devil would want as the kids go back to school, summer bleeds into work again, and we look to an exciting a season of ministry here, which includes planting a new church at St. George's, but for us to make him the point, to be afraid or to be anxious about the future because God is not to be trusted. But the rhythm of life is a countercultural way of living, shaping us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Ben uh, gave this great illustration uh, in our staff meeting this week. It was so tempting not to give Ben the credit today. Uh, uh, and Ben said, when you're in driver's ed, they teach you how to drive over potholes, which are kind of dangerous, uh, but meant to look at the potholes while you're driving. Get your, get your eyes up to where the road is taking you. The devil's not the point. Don't be afraid of his lies and temptations. The rhythm of life is what keeps us laser-focused on who God says we are, beloved, adored, and what our purpose and mission is to love God, love our neighbors. Everything in Toronto will mitigate against you shaping the rhythms of your life and those of your children around the purpose and hope that God has for us. So let's make a commitment today to weekly worship. Pick up a daily prayer and Bible reading guide in the glass atrium. We're here to help you prioritize the spiritual nurture of your children. Uh, live out uh, the rhythm of life with your friends in a connect group. While we're really excited uh, about the mission we believe God is calling us to, uh, we don't think we're anything fancy here at St. Paul's. We've only got Jesus to give you and uh, his forgiveness and his way of life. Thankfully, it's the best. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>